0: To Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service, Full Service.
1: Full Service Radio. My name is Danielle Vogel, and you're listening to Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio, a show about the little things you can do to minimize your personal carbon footprint. This show is all about empowering you to take control of the pace of environmental progress you're making just by being a little bit more mindful about the way you eat, drink, shop, and think. This isn't hard stuff, but we'll show you just how easy it can be when you know exactly which small things really do matter. Today, we'll explore ways to minimize waste in the food chain. I'm joined by Misfit Foods co-founder and boy genius, Phil Wong. Phil? Couldn't be more thrilled to have you here.
0: Thanks for having me, Danielle.
1: Tell the people how we met.
0: Well, we met at an event at a culinary incubator called Mess Hall probably four years ago now. Mm -hmm. I think we were each probably two beers and four slices of pizza (laughs) deep. And we were kicking off our very first product, uh, which was cold-pressed juice. And so we had you try some.
1: And it was amazing.
0: (laughs) Glad that you thought so. Yeah, and the whole idea was that we were going to create that cold-pressed juice from misfit fruits and veggies that farmers and distributors couldn't sell to retailers.
1: What does that mean? What's a misfit fruit?
0: Yeah, so 20 billion pounds of fruits and veggies go unharvested or unsold every year in the United States, which is just a massive environmental and economic issue. So it leads to $218 billion of economic loss we put 25% of our freshwater resources into food that gets wasted and it, takes up 21% of our landfill volume. So our idea was to create juice uh, from those misfit fruits and veggies.
1: And because Glen's Garden Market was founded to make climate change progress, one of our foundational principles is that we don't generate any food waste. So this was a match made in heaven from our moment of meeting. Truly. Um, And also at Glen's, one of our core values is that we grow small businesses along with our own. So in the six years that we've been open, we've launched 83 local small food businesses, giving them their very first chance to sell their products on our shelves. And of the companies that got their retail start on our shelves, 49 are owned by women and 21 were founded by people of color um misfit juicery of course was one of our og launches (laughs) and one of my absolute favorites Uh, not just because the juices were delicious which they certainly were um and because you and Anne, your co-founder are amazing but also because you two had a brilliant idea for minimizing food waste while giving ugly produce a second shot at glory (laughs) juicing it um so can you give us some context what was the problem you were looking to solve when you guys conceived misfit juicery in a georgetown dorm room
0: yeah, and it's kind of nuts to think that we started this company four years ago as college students. And I think, you know, the reason why I love Glenn's, just to um, maybe sidetrack a little bit, is because it really is a community for people who want to make uh, way like moves on climate change both large and small. Um, and so, yeah, from the very start, it was definitely home for us. But we wanted to tackle climate change by creating healthier supply chains and educating consumers about food waste. And so once we learned about that issue, we thought, okay, what are some products that are going to fit really well with this ethos of um, reimagining sort of these issues of value and waste? Mm. And so cold pressed juice was the very first one.
1: So, what did you guys start with?
0: So we essentially started with four crates of ugly peaches from our (laughs) farmer's market. And my co-founder, Anne, borrowed a blender from a woman she was babysitting for. And we juiced for like nine hours straight. This was like October of 2015. So peaches went out of season the next week and we were back at ground, uh, (laughs) back at step one. But it was a good start.
1: So were you foraging from the DuPont farmer's market? Where did the peaches come from?
0: Uh, We had even humbler beginnings than that. We were actually going to the Georgetown University farmer's market. Um, And so we actually had a farmer named Tim from Ashton Farms who hooked us up and uh, was really our supply chain in the early days.
1: So what gave you the idea, though? I mean, you didn't wake up one morning and think, let me go to my farmer's market and (laughs) grab some extra peaches.
0: Yeah, I I think that Anna and I and and also our third co-founder, Dave, like we've been on this long journey of sort of thinking about what our personal and sort of like larger community footprint was with climate change. And I think for us, food was such a natural starting point because food's universal, right? Like everyone has to eat three times a day, but it's also so intimate. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like I was actually studying abroad in Senegal and, and studying the capital city's landfill um, where people were going in every day and, and creating um, and essentially taking things and reselling them. So that really made me rethink what was garbage or trash it wasn't it's the sort of like inherent waste but rather um, people would look at things and say it was worthless so that sort of kick-started this path for me um, into thinking about ugly fruits and veggies
1: so can you give us some stats to help us fathom sort of how big the issue of food waste is in america
0: Yeah, food waste is a massive, massive issue in this country. And I think it's hard to contextualize for people, number one, because it's just so big. And then number two, because so much of it happens outside of, you know, our eyes and and sort of um, before things even hit the grocery store shelves. Meaning
1: like ugly produce that never makes the cut or stuff that's left in the field because it's not perfect.
0: Totally. And so there'll be ugly produce that won't even make it out of the field. Um, when you look at a baby carrot in a grocery store, for example, um, that start off that as a, <laughs> <Bro> <laughs> exactly, it start off as an adult normal carrot that somebody shaved down into a baby carrot, and those shavings um, add up to a whole lot of waste. So, in total, twenty billion pounds of produce go unharvested or unsold every year in this country and that leads up to food waste leads up to 218 billion dollars of economic loss. Jeez.
1: And you mentioned earlier that it's about a about a fifth of our landfill capacity?
0: Yeah. So not only are we not eating this stuff, we're actually putting our landfills and it's taking a huge amount of space and we're putting a ton of freshwater into it as well. So 25 percent of our freshwater resources.
1: So from a climate change perspective, what we're doing is we're dumping a bunch of resources into cultivating food that's never sold, which we then send to landfill where it decomposes and creates global warming emissions.
0: It's honestly comical, but also deeply, deeply sad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) More sad than comical. (laughs) Thank you for doing something about it. Um, So sort of more on that point. Are there categories of food that end up in landfill in greater proportion to others?
0: Yeah, typically it ends up being the more perishable things that end up in landfill. Um, So seafood is actually a a category of food that gets wasted at a tremendous, tremendous Mm -hmm. rate. Um, and then I think there are also things that while not perishable, like strictly speaking, like bread is a huge contributor to waste just because, um, you know, day old or week old bread just isn't that attractive. And so there are people like toast ale who are making beer um, out of sort of the offcuts and, and day old bread. Um, so by no means are we the only people working on this issue. There, there's an entire coalition of people trying to fight food waste.
1: And are there food items that are more environmentally harmful than others once they arrive in the landfill?
0: Yeah, so produce is is pretty bad just because it emits not only CO2, but also methane, um, which is a much more potent greenhouse gas uh, than carbon dioxide. Um, And then I'll say, like, uh, in terms of embedded resources, you look at your meat, for example, and that is just a huge culprit, right? Mm Because we put so much resources into growing cows, growing pigs, and for that food to ultimately get wasted, that's just, honestly, it's travesty.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, not only are they consuming resources to to grow big enough to slaughter, but then they need to be refrigerated. Exactly. And refrigeration produces hydrofluorocarbon emissions, which are 12,000 times more carbon-intensive than CO2 emissions. So it's, I mean, soup to nuts, they're incredibly resource-consumptive. So when they land in the landfill, they really couldn't be worse for the environment.
0: The rabbit hole definitely goes deep on that one.
1: It's not a good look. um great news we can compost meat scraps at glens garden markets or bring them by they need not land in the landfill um so phil what should we be doing at the personal level to mitigate food waste other than obviously eating the food that we buy
0: yeah i think the two really really big things that I would encourage anyone to just take like honestly five minutes to look at the number one how you're thinking about expiration date labels And the number two, uh, meal planning. So meal planning is a big one just because, you know, things that are sold in retail at grocery stores don't always make sense. You have your classic, you know, three pounds uh, container of of baby lettuce or romaine that you're not going to end up using. And so if you can plan your meals effectively, that's going to lead to just way less waste. The second thing is date labels. Uh, Date labels aren't uh, really heavily regulated by Um, the FDA, or even state and local officials. And so uh, producers have an incentive to put, actually short-date those labels. So chances are, if you're looking at a yogurt or a cheese or, you know, even a juice that's two days past its label, it's probably still good to eat. So I think common sense is is always a way to go with that. But I think people, you know, sometimes won't even take something that's within a week of its expiration date, which is... um, yeah, that product is probably still good.
1: And there's also not a ton of standardization around the language used on those labels. So sometimes it's Best Buy and sometimes it's Sell Buy. Uh, from a retailer's perspective, we are not legally permitted to sell anything on the date or after the date listed on that label, regardless of the language that's being used. But so for instance, yogurt is a fermented food. So I would mm-hmm. feel comfortable eating that sort of longer mm-hmm. after the mm-hmm. printed expiration date than maybe something that was more likely to foodborne on this like ground chicken for right, instance totally so can you give us some like rules of the road on that like which sorts of things are you more comfortable eating further past their expiration date
0: yeah i think a really easy example would be frozen foods and so with frozen foods those will last a long long time so whatever you're used by sell by best by date chances are that that's just there to ensure freshness rather than actually an indicator of food, food safety safety interesting um, and I think even with meat, right? Like if you have meat that you're not going to eat, and this is back to meal planning, if you're not going to eat all of your ground beef in the fridge um, or, you know, say a sausage, you can throw that in the freezer and chances are it's going to be just as good when you thought.
1: You can even freeze bread. Exactly. Most things. Um, so, can you share any specific tips for elongating the lifespan of foods that are in our refrigerators um, or our pantries?
0: Yeah, I think you just pointed to a really good one with bread, which is that I think for a lot of people who are, are specifically my generation, like the freezer is totally the underutilized hero of the kitchen. <laughs> like I, I know that before I really got into food and started Misfit, I was using my freezer for ice cream and ice cubes, and that's it. And that's uh, kind of a horror show, to be honest, because (laughs) it can do a whole lot more than that. It's a preservation Um, chamber. Exactly right. So whether it's meat, bread, even some types of produce, uh, make liberal use of that freezer.
1: So, freezers, not just for vodka anymore. (laughs) This is such great news. Uh, Move over, compost. Here comes my loaf of bread. Uh, All right. So, you and Anne founded Misfit to repurpose food waste on an industrial scale. Mm -hmm. Are there any other companies that are operating in that space that you think are doing a particularly good job?
0: Yeah. two, uh, Two companies that I'm a huge fan of are Imperfect Produce and Spoiler Alert. Um, Imperfect Produce actually just landed in the DMV, I believe, and so they're sending boxes of fresh produce. Uh, often perfect or ugly to people's doors on a weekly basis. And it's cheaper um, than a lot what you find at a, at a big box store. Um, so I think, you know, um, for people who might not be comfortable selecting their produce to the grocery store for whatever reason that might be or may not be able to get out to the grocery store, that's a really great option. And then spoiler alert actually isn't really customer facing. They're working with businesses to reduce their food waste. So we're talking like big, big food service uh, operating businesses Uh, I think both of them do really wonderful work.
1: Awesome. So for consumers that may not be aware of this, when Phil's talking about ugly produce, they're also referred to as seconds or number twos. Um, So these are sort of the imperfect pieces of produce that might be, you know well suited for a stock or a soup or a use that is not like that does not require perfection in shape Um, and these are you know items that are pretty hard to sell at a grocery store because people eat with their eyes Um, and so a service that's able to get those seconds off the field where they may simply go unharvested um, is a great proposition for minimizing food waste
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think it just points to the fact that we need solutions at every single point in the supply chain, right? So the fact that Glens is doing its part to reduce food waste, so we have people like Imperfect, people like Spoiler Alert, like it really isn't one solution that's going to solve an issue as big as this one. It needs to be a community effort.
1: Heard. We are talking with Phil Wong, visionary co-founder of Misfit Foods. We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we'll talk with Phil about what's next for Misfit. Back in a sec. <laughs> the track you're listening to during the break is called don't go by keto and if you're tuned in you're listening to full service radio This is Everyday Enviro, a show about the little things you can do to reduce your personal carbon footprint. I'm Danielle Vogel, founder of Glen's Garden Market in DuPont Circle, and I'm joined today by Phil Wong, who's talking us through the realities of, and solutions to, waste in the food chain. We've been talking about the scope of the food waste problem in America, and now we'll dive into what Misfit Foods plans to do about it. Phil, you and your co-founder made a tough decision this past fall. You pulled your juices off grocery store shelves you'd reached the conclusion that the unit economics didn't work and that there were other potentially even more impactful ways you could address the issue of food waste moving forward. You two are the smartest pair in food as far (laughs) as I'm concerned. So when you came to me with that news, I stood behind you hundred percent, of course. Um, So in the months since, what have you guys been working on? What's next for Misfit?
0: Yeah. So the vision of Misfit from day one has always been to be an entire family of products um, that are combating climate change and fighting inefficiencies in our food system. And so cold-pressed juice was, was definitely the first step in that, but it was never the finish line for us. And so we've been hard at work at product development for the past... Uh, four or five months, and are really excited for what we're cooking up. We actually did a flash sale this past weekend at your very own Glens at
1: Glens Garden Market.
0: <laughs> Indeed. So while we're not talking public about the products yet, um, if you hang out at Glens every weekend, maybe you'll catch another glimpse. <laughs> of course, you should be hanging out at Glens every weekend anyway. Um, but we're really excited about center of the plate options in particular, just because juice, cool product, no doubt. Uh, but ultimately, that's not going to be a meal for someone, nor do we want it to be. We know there was a lot of talk about juice cleanses, and that was never really our angle. Mm. Um, and so whatever our next product is going to be, we want to make sure that it's uh, really impacting people's nutrition and diets uh, in the way that a, that a center of plate option ought to.
1: And how close are you guys? When when can we expect you back in the market?
0: Totally. Well, we're playing a little bit hard to get on that one. So we obviously did this flash (laughs) sale this past weekend at Glenn's and hope to have another one going on the next month or month and a half. Uh, Beyond that, we're eyeing up a launch, a full proper launch this summer.
1: So how do you go about this R&D process? You know, you're probably identifying categories that might be ripe for this sort of exploration. Um, What's your sample set? Who are you talking to? What data are you collecting? I mean, to the extent that you can share your creative process, how are you going about identifying sort of the next category that needs to be approached from this angle?
0: For sure. In, in a lot of ways, to be honest, it, it's kind of felt like group therapy for the past <laughs> five months because we've just sort of been thinking about who it is that we want to be when we grow up and, and what kinds of customers we want to be serving. Um, but I think the good news is that over the past few years building Misfit, The one, so much has changed and it's truly been a whirlwind, but the one constant has been this really awesome community that we've been a part of. So at every single step of this way, whether it's thinking through the feasibility of a supply chain or just whether people want to eat this product, uh, we've had a really great community to lean on and and Glenn's is a huge part of that. But I think like one of the wonderful things of working in food is that people just want to try your stuff and they Mm -hmm. want to help you create things that are yummy for them to eat. Uh, And so we've really leaned on that. And of course, I think on some basic level, it's just like, you know, as a team, what do we want to be eating?
1: It's a good question. (laughs) Do you have any quirky, weird eating preferences? Are you vegetarian, flexitarian, vegan, pescatarian?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely identify as flexitarian, and that's an area that we're looking at pretty closely. So, um, for those of you who don't for those who don't know what a flexitarian is, it's somebody who wants to eat better meat or less meat without giving it up entirely. And so, sixty six percent of Americans have tried to reduce their meat consumption over the last three years.
1: Good news for the environment.
0: Great news for the environment, but only nine percent of those people have gone fully vegetarian. So what products are out there for people like me, like those other flexitarians, um, and is there something in there that we could make, uh, I think is the, the big question that we're asking ourselves. That's
1: a great question, because we talked a little bit earlier about how energy and resource-consumptive meat production is. So if you're able to displace demand for some of that, then we can, we can hopefully strive toward a more environmentally sustainable future. In consumption.
0: Totally. At the end of the day, you know, meat's yummy. People should eat meat. They should eat good meat and maybe a little bit less meat.
1: Yeah, it should maybe punctuate rather than sustain our diets. Exactly. Should be a little bit more mindful about the way it's integrated. Totally. Um, with that. Um, okay, so switching gears, let's talk for a second about the American consumer's bandwidth for spending money on products that align with their values. Mm. So your juices hit the shelves at a comparably high price point in the category, even though most, if not all, of your inputs were misfits, and so they had a low perceived value. Obviously, there are issues of scale that also impacted that price point. But in the final analysis, did you guys reach any actionable conclusions about consumers' willingness to spend more on a product that embodies values they align with on a personal level?
0: For sure. I I think consumers are definitely willing to put their money where their mouths are, I do think that if you're thinking of starting a business, if you're already running a business that's catering to people um, who you know embody this social social ethos or environmental ethos, the one thing you have to make sure of is that not only do your values align but also that the product just aligns with their needs um, and I it think has for, to be delicious exactly and that's what I love so much about Glen's which is that like no matter if you are you know trying and striving to uh, make a difference in the environment every day, or just somebody who likes good food, there's something there that's for you. And I think the most powerful social brands are doing that. They're speaking to people who are the most engaged, but they're also approachable to the people who, you know, might not know as much about these issues.
1: Yeah. You know, I think we're of the same mind on that subject. If it's not delicious, they won't buy it twice. Um, and there's only so much bandwidth for values based spending on food that it's you, you have to lead with something that's uh, appetizing and attractive and it looks great on the shelf. I know you guys did a lot of work on that with your rebrand. Um, but the bottom line is like no matter how values aligned it may be, they're not going to buy something that doesn't also um, taste good.
0: Totally. And that's the mandate and the benefit of working in food, right? Like we have the opportunity to engage with people three times a day. Yeah. And so we have to take that.
1: So it's an amazing opportunity and platform. So the bottom line is folks will spend a little bit more on products that represent their personal values to a point, but those products better be delicious if they (laughs) want to survive. Um, So has that conclusion informed your thinking as you position Misfit for the next step?
0: I do. And I think we think really hard about, um, how it is that we're going to be delivering value not only to the environment, but also to consumers. And so I think that was really the reason why we were so keen on doing a flash Zillik lens this weekend and and not just an excuse to get uh, some really well-priced craft beer, but (laughs) to make sure that we, $4 every day, (laughs) but to make sure that we were aligning what the products that we're trying to build with what consumers genuinely need and, and not just want.
1: So, Phil, thank you so much for chatting today. I've certainly learned a lot, and it's always just an utter delight to talk to you. Um, Can you leave us with any final thoughts on additional little things we can do to minimize our personal carbon footprint?
0: Yeah, I I think just riffing on this uh, flexitarian piece, I, I think it would be a really interesting exercise for people to just think about what it would look like to eat meat one fewer meal a week. Hmm. And just think about what that looks like. And, and not, maybe at the end of the day. Not even like a
1: whole meatless Monday. Yeah. Just like a meatless lunch on Monday. <laughs>
0: exactly right. And so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, maybe it's not for you. Maybe you really like your meat and you want to keep eating it. But I think just envisioning what that future might look like is really key for us just as a culture, as a society, to make steps forward. Um, and ultimately, that behavior change will come from wherever it comes. But I think if everybody can dream in the same direction, then we're, we're well on our way
1: making progress one bite or bite evaded at a time. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for that. So Phil, where can we track your progress?
0: Totally. So you can definitely check us out on Instagram or on our website. Our handle on Instagram is at Misfit Foods. Our website is MisfitOddSquad.com.
1: Misfit Odd Squad. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. So join the Odd Squad, uh, get on the latest with new product development and, and try our latest products uh, for discounted or for free.
1: And if you're one of those people that loves photos of like crazy looking produce, this is the feed for you. (laughs) It's awesome and beautiful. Um, So before we end our time together, let's take a moment to reflect on why climate change is worth even attempting to address at the personal level. It's huge and complex and at times it seems well beyond our control, but it's not. Sometimes we just need a little reminder that our actions have environmental impacts and that we do have the ability to take control of the pace of progress we're making in our daily lives this is your moment of motivation if all of the food waste in the world was a country think a garbage island nation state (laughs) just a country made up of a huge pile of rotting food it would be the world's third largest emitter of greenhouse gases And though meat accounts for less than 10% of global food waste due to the carbon intensity of meat production, transportation, and retailing, as we discussed, meat-based food waste accounts for one-fifth of total global warming emissions from food waste at large. And speaking straight to Phil's heart, The per capita food waste carbon footprint in industrialized nations is more than double that of industrializing nations due to the wasteful market structures and our preference for pristine fruits and vegetables. So thank you to our ACE intern, Juliana Bradley, for those activating statistics. They'll certainly make me think twice about tossing food scraps um, or, frankly, passing up ugly produce. If you have questions about how best to minimize your personal carbon footprint or you'd like to suggest a topic or a guest for a future show, please drop me an email. I'm at glennsmarket at gmail.com. Phil, thank you so much for being here and for remaining so relentlessly dedicated to enlisting consumers in the fight against food waste.
0: No, thank you, Danielle.
1: (laughs) And thank you for listening to Everyday Enviro. Next week, we'll be talking with comedian, soup savant, and utter delight, Sarah Pollan of Supergirl about how to maximize flavor while minimizing meat consumption. Talk then. Bye, friends.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash radio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullservicerdo. On Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.